You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, My good friend Alex will not be able to join us tonight. He's got some stuff going on. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what, this is a take three. This is the third night in a row that uh, we tried to do this episode. We wanted to get one done right after the draft. Technical difficulties night one. Last night, I did nearly two damn hours last night and uh, got cut off with about 15 minutes to go right before like literally minutes we were coordinating with uh, Dominique Davis, who is uh, an undrafted free agent that the Jets have signed or will be signing. He's agreed to sign. Not sure where they are with that. Uh, small school guy, defensive tackle, had him lined up for the show. He's going to come He's gonna come on again tonight. Thank goodness he was <laughs> gracious enough. Had to message him at the last second and say, dude, our tech just, just is shot. So uh, thanks again, Blog Talk. Um, you know, can can we do tomorrow? So he agreed to that. So we're excited about that. We've also we've all we've also got Scott Carter coming on, uh, Florida Gators reporter. We had him lined up for last night, and uh, again, last night didn't go well. Night before didn't even get off the ground. Yesterday did just under two hours and had to dump the show. Uh, but in some ways, I'm glad because uh, uh, did a little more homework on some of these guys, so a little bit more for you tonight. But it's done, folks. The draft is over. Thank goodness. I've said it before. You, you get draft fatigue, as you know, especially those last couple of weeks leading up to the draft. It's like, oh, Jesus, enough already. Like, how much more can you talk about it? How much more can you write about it? How much more can you read about it? And especially when your team is no good and you've been looking forward to the draft since week five. Um, so you, literally, this is like seven, eight months, however many months in the making. But it all went down, and it went down well, folks, for the New York Jets. Joe Douglas, I mean, he, you, you can nitpick any draft. You can pick apart any pick, and, and, and I'll do that. We, we all do that, and this is for fun, right? Everyone's just having a good time. We like the Jets, love the Jets. And you you go through these picks, and you think, oh, what would I have done here? What would I have done there? And you talk about the draft. You summarize the draft. You grade the draft. And, and Listen, post-draft grades are meaningless in terms of, like, nobody knows what these guys are going to be. Every one of these guys could be Hall of Famers. Every one of these guys could be busts out of the league by next year. But chances are they'll all be somewhere in between. But we can grade it. Listen, when you're grading a draft at this point, you're, you're looking at, did you address a need? Did you get a guy who, you know, who are, are you getting good value? Are you getting guys that kind of that justify their draft slot? And again, it, it, even that in itself. Listen, I can look at Ashton Davis and say, oh, my God, why did you take a DB? And I can dislike that pick all I want. And Ashton Davis might go on to make six Pro Bowls. He might be one of the best defensive backs in team history. 
I'm not saying he won't be. I'm not saying he will be. But we'll go through pick by pick. We'll grade it based on was this guy I need? Was this guy, you know, do, do, do I see him as a good player? Well, Glenn, why does it matter if you see him as a good player? It doesn't. It doesn't matter what any of these people think. But this is something we all do for fun, right? All that matters at the end of the day is was Joe Douglas right? Um, let's, let's, let's get right to it. Jets are sitting on the clock. 11th pick, all the pre-draft stuff. Teams are going to jump up. The Bucks are going to jump up. The Falcons are going to jump up. The Dolphins, the Dolphins were trying to get up to number two without giving up their five. Oh, my God, the Dolphins are going to be picking second and fifth? This is crazy. All the pre-draft hysteria. I bought in. I got nervous. I'm a Jets fan. I'm thinking worst case. I'm thinking every scenario where everything can go wrong. I had it in my mind. This team is, they're going to end up having to trade back to 21 with the Eagles, and they're going to have to take Ezra Cleveland with their first pick, who I like but I don't like him to start year one. But I was preparing myself for the worst-case scenario. Then the draft kicks off. Burrow goes one, as we knew. Chase Young goes two, as we knew. There were rumors of Detroit trading out of three. They stay put. They take Akuda, as many predicted if they had stayed put. First surprise, Andrew Thomas to the Giants at four. And I, I tweeted out a couple weeks ago. I, I said, the pre-draft process is nuts. That a few months ago, Andrew Thomas was universally viewed as a top five pick. Now there's mock drafts and there's experts and there's big boards, and he's 15th and 16th, and he'll be there when the Jets pick at 11. And blah, 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 blah. he goes four. Revert back to what we were, what everybody was saying three, four months ago that he was a top five pick. Andrew Thomas becomes a top five pick. Dolphins go Tua, no surprise. Chargers take a quarterback, Herbert, no surprise. Derek Brown, a lot of people had him projected to Carolina. He goes there. Isaiah Simmons was an X factor. He was a guy that I thought, man, what if he does fall to 11? Can you really be pissed off if the Jets take him? You can be a little pissed off, not too pissed off, because you needed that tackle. Then they get to nine, C.J. Henderson, where we learn after the draft, the Jets had a deal in place with the Jaguars. The Jets were ready to move up to number nine if there wasn't a tackle on the board that they thought would fall to them. As luck had it, by the time we got to nine, Jedrick Wills, still on the board. Makai Becton, still on the board. Tristan Wirfs, still on the board. So the Jets know at nine, they're getting, they're getting somebody. They call Jacksonville, say thanks, but no thanks. We're fine. We're going to get one of our guys. Cleveland takes Jedrick Wills. For my money, best guy on the board. Then it's between Becton and Wirfs. If you would have asked me who the Jets wanted, I would have said Wirfs. I would have been wrong. I really thought they wanted the agile, mobile, big guy who moves well. Because this is all we're hearing about what Adam Gase wants to build. This is why the Jets overpaid for George Fant. Because he's a, he's a big, agile guy. I really thought Wirfs would be the pick. He was not. It was Becton. <laughs> I see lunatics out there, maniacs out of their mind, who don't like this pick. Oh man, we got a 360-pounder who moves like a 320-pounder and bulldozes people into next week. Oh man, what a drag. People just live to dislike everything. Makai Becton might be a bust. Anybody can be a bust. But if you look at what Makai Becton might be, I mean, and this is not hyperbole, in terms of the size of that man and the way he moves, he might be the most incredible athlete I've ever seen in my life. The guy is pushing 400 pounds, and he moves like a guy who weighs 330 who moves well. 
He's the guy that weighs 330. You go, oh, my God, I can't believe that guy moves that well at 330. This guy is moving that well, and he's 365, 370. It's ridiculous. Do you worry about his his body holding up for the long term? You You bet you do. That's a concern without a doubt. But do you also look at him and go, that dude might be a Hall of Famer? Yeah, you do that too. And I don't see with the tools he brings. I don't, you know, like I said, anyone can bust. I don't see him being a bust. I see him at the very least being a pretty damn good left tackle for a long time. I think his 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 range, I would say, is from pretty good to Hall of Fame. I love the pick. Again, some people will 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 bash it. Not many, but some people. But some people will bash any pick. Doesn't matter what you do. Ben, Joe Douglas, talk about savvy, talk about guts, talk about gambling and coming out with a big win. We get the 48, everybody, you know, and listen, as many times as I've said, I wanted that round two pick to be a premier position, top corner on the board, top edge guy on the board. As the draft got closer, even with this being a deep receiver class, I mean, I I knew I I was 100% against the receiver at 11. I had, whether it was on the message boards at JetNation.com, which, if you are not a member, get signed up. It is busier right now than it's ever been. JetNation.com has been around for 14, 15 years. This past week, draft weekend, was our busiest weekend ever. Over 100,000 posts in one day. People were going crazy on there. But I'm arguing with people on there. People telling me I'm crazy. It's going to be Ruggs. It's going to be Judy. It's going to be Lamb. Twitter, people saying, oh, Judy, Judy, Judy. get, Get out of here with this offensive tackle thing. Get an offensive tackle later. And it's not rocket science, folks. I, listen, we, we all throw out our opinions. I think this, I think that. They should do this, they should do that. Very rarely am I super confident about something that's going to happen. But I said many times leading up to this draft, anyone who's looking wide receiver is going to be disappointed. There is, the only way they go receiver is if they trade for Trent Williams. If the Jets are on the clock at 11 and they haven't added a tackle, they're going tackle. I pointed it out last week. Joe Douglas came from Philly. Philly has one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Granted, Jason Peters is getting long in the tooth. This is true. But he was still on a contract. Eagles have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Joe Douglas is Howie Roseman's right-hand man last year. They have a huge need at wide receiver. Their wide receiving core is very bad. Their offensive line, among the best in the NFL. And what did they do? They traded up to take a tackle because they have a young quarterback that they need to protect. That told me all I needed to know. And I told, I tweeted it. I said it on the message boards, folks, left tackle, clear as day. Joe Douglas isn't building a fantasy team. He doesn't want a bunch of, you know, he doesn't want to add a bunch of receivers in a class where there are 30 of them, if not more. It's going to be a left tackle. And it was a left tackle. But as the draft got closer, I warmed up to the idea of a receiver in the second round. Because while there were a lot of good ones, I thought it really would be nice to get one of the top shelf guys. I would love Brian Edwards in the third round. Absolutely love it. But you got to get a top shelf guy. 48 comes around. Denzel Mims, projected first rounder, still on the board. And you're thinking, well, this is it. This is where they take Denzel Mims. What a, what a coup. What a steal. And then the Jets trade down. And I loved that because if you listen to the show, you know that I've been saying for weeks that this team needs to add picks. Eight picks is not enough. Too many holes on this roster 
to only have eight picks. So, the trade down, I don't mind it. In that moment, you're thinking, oh, all right, well, we just missed out on Mims. Someone is gonna, someone's going to leapfrog. Someone's going to trade up. We just missed out on the guy, but, you know, what can you do? Life goes on. There's other receivers in this class. And then as the pick gets closer and closer and closer, Denzel Mims is still there. So the Jets get themselves a six foot three receiver who runs a four three eight forty. Had some concerns about his route tree coming out of Baylor, but showed at the Senior Bowl that he can do a lot more than what they ask him to do at Baylor. Some of his catches, I mean, you talk about outside of his frame and above the rim and athletic and reaching and leaping and grabbing. Some unbelievable catches. He had some drops, but for those of you who are unaware, uh, what was it? I forget which year it was. I think he had eight, nine, ten drops in one season. He was playing with a broken hand. So other than that, no issues, no concerns as far as Denzel Mims goes. So now you've got Beckton and Mims. Look at this wide receiver one, so you hope, and a franchise left tackle. I mean, does it get any better than that with your first two picks, given how long the Jets have had a need there? At left tackle. Anyway, I, I, the thing that worries me about Mims, and I say this all the time, I don't like when people get bogged down in the in, in that sort of miserable, oh, but we always this and we always that. I hate that, but at the same time, I look at the history of this team at receiver, and they rarely draft good ones. I mean, really. Two of the better ones in my lifetime as a Jets fan, Krebet and Robbie Anderson, undrafted. You took Keyshawn. He worked out for a little bit. He got traded. But this team has such terrible, terrible history. But let's be honest, this team has a terrible history at most positions when it comes to the draft, and not just recently either. So you get Mims, and then you get down to pick 68. And I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the guys who are still on the board, and I'm beside myself that Zach Bond is still there. Zach Bond, for those of you who recall, I had him going to the Jets in round two in my first mock. And I had people say to me, this is dumb. You shouldn't have even done this. Bond is gone in the first round. There's no way, let alone 48, he's not even making it to the second round. Not only did Bond, and, and I'm, I don't mean just like, you know, fans that I'm interacting with on Twitter. I'm talking, you look at the mocks, you look at Daniel Jeremiah, Matt Miller, whoever. They all have him going first, second round. He's sitting there in round three. And I'm looking at this thinking, I want offense, but Zach Bond is a day one starter and a three-down player at linebacker, you've got to take this guy. And the Jets take a safety. Ashton Davis, out of Cal, super athletic, versatile, going to give the Jets some options, but I don't love the pick. Not because I don't think he'll be great. He could be great. I don't know. Again, we don't know about any of these guys. He's Yes, he's got the tools to be a damn good player. But I just thought Zach Bond... There's your day one starting linebacker, every down guy. Probably the best outside linebacker they've had in years. Maybe since Mo Lewis. And they take a safety. And I get, look, Marcus May, last year of his deal. Okay? Maybe that's, you're looking long term. And the thing I like about Davis, I said this a few weeks ago. Somebody said on Twitter, because, listen, I I, I like uh, giving myself a hard time every now and then. Bust my own chops, right? Because I saw somebody say, oh, my God, I cannot believe there were people who wanted Malik Hooker over Jamal Adams. So I was honest, and I raised my hand. I said, I was one of those guys. I wanted a game-changing safety in terms of a guy who could cover so much ground in the secondary 
that he can get a boatload of picks, and he can make you know give that quarterback that split second of hesitation. He's trying to figure out where that safety is before he uncorks that throw, and that's to me what 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 uh, Hooker is. And Ashton Davis might be that guy too. Ashton Davis, a, a ball hawk in college, and just speed to burn, track guy. He can run like it's nobody's business. So uh, I'm not sitting here saying he won't be good. I'm just sitting here saying you passed on a versatile guy who could have been an every down player for you, and, and some old linemen. I, 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 full full disclosure. I said this to someone the other day. I wanted a left tackle at eleven. They got a left tackle at eleven. And you know what I did? I sat there, and I started I started flashing back to 2009, 2010. Mangold, Damian Woody, Brandon Moore, Alan Fanica. And I just started thinking, God, when the O-line was that good, teams, everybody in the damn building knew that the Jets were going to come in and they were going to run it. Everyone on the defense knew it. Everyone on the offense knew it. Everyone in the stands knew it. But that O-line was so good that they did it anyway, and they still beat teams, beat the hell out of teams on the ground. And that's what I started thinking about after the Beckton pick. And then I was like, I want linemen. Get draft three linemen. Draft four linemen. I don't care. I want receivers. I want linemen. Give me one edge. Give me one corner. Everything else. Receivers and linemen. Damian Lewis was on the board. May not be a good fit, but good player. Jonah Jackson. Arguably the best pass blocking guard in this class. Wanted him. Matt Hennessy, who the Jets were supposedly in love with. They pass on him. He falls to Atlanta. So the Jets end up with Ashton Davis again. If I'm grading that, I'm saying that's like a C minus. C. The first two picks, A. Maybe even an A plus for Mims because of uh because of the fact that you traded down, you got extra picks there. Extra value. Davis, C, C minus, because again. There were just more pressing needs for guys who could start day one. Um, so don't give me this, oh, why are, you, why are you hating on him? Why don't you like the guy? Nothing to do with the guy, nothing to do with the player. Everything to do with the need and the guys that were still on the board. So then the Jets are back on the clock, pick 79. And they this was a surprise to me, even just as much as Davis, because I'm going to be honest, leading up to this draft, all the homework I was doing on prospects, probably safety. I did the least work because I was like, they are not drafting a safety. Of course they did. And then Zuniga, I hadn't looked at. The guy played, what, four or five games last year. So, he, you know, when I was scrolling through players, looking up histories and looking up stats, probably passed him and thought, okay, this injury-prone guy, part-time guy, not going to worry about it. Um, the Jets take him and – I th- thank goodness for these people who post these condensed games on YouTube because of the, the wonder of the internet and these magical people who make these games appear. I watched three of his games that night, and I was like, wow, this guy can play. I, I would have liked to. The one thing that jumped out that I didn't like, three full games, didn't see him stand up one time. After I watched the three games, I put on some highlight films because you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to watch just the highlights. If I can get access to more than that, then that's what I'm going to try to watch. Watched three of his games. Didn't see him stand up once. I thought, all right, let me go to his highlights, see if we see him doing anything out of a two-point stance, you know, coming off the edge, nothing. Strictly three- and four-point stance. 
So can he stand up? Can he back up and, you know, can drop back and cover a little bit? We don't know is the answer. Um, athletic guy, though, tested out well. And, exp- I mean, uses his hands really well, violent hands, which is something I noticed with Dominique Davis as well, who we'll have on later on. Um, so the Zuniga pick at first, I was like, hmm, not sure. Haven't watched this guy. He only played a few games. Um, went and watched three of his games. Came away thoroughly impressed. Then round four. So because of the deals the Jets made, they end up with three fourth-round picks within like nine picks of each other, which is phenomenal. I like I like to draft a lot better when the Jets pick every four picks, every fifth pick. But with 120, they break my heart and they go Lamichael Perrine. Look, same as Davis. I don't dislike Perrine. He too may go on to be a fantastic player. It's a running back in round four, 120th pick. I mean, 120. Theoretically, you can still get some really good players. And he, like I said, he might be a really good player. And keep in mind, at this point, my mindset was still greedy fan who wants a bunch of O-linemen. Kevin Dotson was still on the board at Louisiana, who I absolutely loved. He ends up going a little later in that round to the Steelers. Gabriel Davis, good receiver. At least I think he will be. He goes to Buffalo. He was on the board. Amik Robertson, who we've talked about a little bit on this show, he was on the board. They passed on him. Could have had a corner. Could have had a receiver. Could have had a, a, a beast of an interior lineman. So I expect. Instead, they go with the easiest position to fill in the NFL. And they take a running back at 120. I will say this, though. Uh, went, went and watched a couple of his games. Uh, LaMichael Perrine, and um, he plays a lot faster than his 4.62. He may run a 4.62. When he hits that second level and gears up, he does not look like a 4.62 running back. So I'm not, I'm, not as worried about that as, I'm not as worried about that as some people are, but it's still frustrating. You still use a fourth-round pick on a running back. If you're, if you're going to use a pick on a back at all, go around six or seven. How many times, how many times have we seen in the NFL? Didn't both teams in the Super Bowl have, like, undrafted free agents starting for them last year? If you build an O-line and you get a running back who can hit the damn hole, that's fine. You're fine. But they used to pick. All right. So that that would be my least favorite pick of of the draft. And again, nothing against the person. And he might be a damn good player. Just in terms of value, positional value, wouldn't have done that there. And a few picks later, pick 125, James Morgan, quarterback out of FIU. Now, for those of you who heard the Alex and I do our our mock draft 3.0 the day before the draft, I actually had Morgan going to the Jets, but I had him going to them at 158. And that's probably my biggest issue with that pick, is that I felt like they could have got him later, but I understand there were other teams looking at him. We know the Patriots were looking at him. There were rumors that the Patriots liked him quite a bit. So maybe the Jets felt like uh, New England might grab him in round five. Let's grab him here. Possible. Big arm. Likes to sling it. Problem is, from what I watched, I watched a few of his games when uh, when it was rumored that the Jets were, were, were talking to him, watching him. Said, okay, here's a quarterback the Jets have interest in. 2B2 makes sense. 
have no issue with the Jets getting a quarterback, you know, to back up Sam Darnold that the the Gase wants to develop. But what I saw, guy who liked likes to throw it deep, but a lot of what I saw was deep underthrows. I mean, going for it all down the field, receivers having to cut their route short, stop, turn around, wait for the ball to come down. Uh, and inaccurate in a lot of other ways. Moves moves fairly well. Can run a little bit. But really, and, and I think he completed less than 60% of his pass. I want to say 58% completion percentage last year. But to be fair, two years ago, I believe he was around 65%. So which is the real guy? I don't know. But the guy that I watched was a big guy, big arm, ran fairly well, erratic arm. Some big, yeah, he's connected on some of his big throws, but not nearly... Didn't see him hit guys in stride nearly as often as you'd like, especially, you know, you can get away with that in college. Come to the NFL and, and have these underthrown balls consistently, then uh, that, that's going to cause an issue. So then, again, Jets pick just a few picks later. That that was great. That was because it can get boring when you got like 45 minutes an hour between picks. <laughs> Eight, nine minutes between picks? Fantastic. This was one of my favorite picks of the class. Probably outside the big name guys. You know, one in the first pick, second pick, those are big name guys you wanted. Bryce Hall is a guy who should have been a first, second rounder, so, so you're expecting that. So, like, the second, third tier guys that, that people didn't see coming. At 129, they just take Cameron Clark out of Charlotte. And I'll tell you, uh, you can uh, take me at my word, or you can say, Glenn, you're full of it. But uh, this is actually a guy... If you look at Twitter, I, I did tweet out a couple plays. I, wa- I watched this game against Clemson. I was just looking through a list of prospects one day and said, all right, let me look for some, for some small school guys. And whatever notes I saw on Clark, I thought, oh, this guy sounds interesting. Let's go watch him. Let's see if we can find any full games. And found the game against Clemson. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy, I mean, he doesn't just look like he belongs. He's dominating at times. Body slamming, throwing Defensive linemen, linebackers, running them out, running them out of the play, chasing them, you know, eight, ten yards down the field to, to pancake and land on top of them. And it, it, listen, Charlotte, as you would expect, lost this game by about a hundred. Cameron Clark was playing hard the whole time. And so when we were doing our mocks, if you if you remember, we did our through the simulators. I did the PFF simulator. I tried to pick him a few times. I, he was never there, unless unless PFF had him going to like round two. Round three, four, five, I started looking for Cameron Clark. He was never on there. So I thought, okay, for whatever reason, Cameron Clark was left off their database. That's a shame because I'd like to take him. Um, and the Jets took him, and I, I love it. My, it. Again, outside of the big-name guys, that's my favorite pick. I think he's a guy who could be a starter in a year or two and a, a great value pick at 129. Guy plays nasty, plays hard, and uh, just a skilled guy. Played tackle in college, probably move inside the guard in the NFL. And, again, I think that's a great value pick. But speaking of value picks, the next guy up, um, I mean, everybody was excited about this. You got Bryce Hall out of Virginia, who was projected, as I said earlier, as a round one or round two pick. And for whatever reason, well, I, I mean, I shouldn't say for whatever reason, Um you know, he, he falls to uh, the fifth round because of the ankle injury they had in college that he is, by all accounts, fully recovered from. Uh, well, not fully. He, he's medically cleared to rehab. So he's apparently at the point where he's doing some range of motion stuff. Listen, 
to me, corner is an important enough position in the NFL today that if you have if you're a first borderline second round talent and you have an injury that you're you're medically cleared, if I'm a team, I'm going to grab you no later than round four. Round five just sounds absolutely nuts. So there's a good chance the Jets got themselves a starting corner in round five. One year after getting Bless Austin, who at times last year looked like he might be a starter, got him in round six because of an injury. His injury concerns are probably a bigger deal than Hall. Well, definitely a bigger deal than Hall because uh, he's had multiple injuries, multiple major injuries, whereas Hall's had the one-time ankle. So that's kind of – you wouldn't look at that as a not something you're probably going to see again. So you got to love that. More of a zone guy than a press man guy, so that you do wonder how Greg Williams will make him fit, but you have to imagine Greg Williams wouldn't have taken him, wouldn't have signed off on taking him if he didn't feel like he could, you know, make some use of him. So that gives you – that's your your second-to-last pick, Bryce Hall. Final pick, Braden Mann, punter. Again, a lot of receivers on the board at that point. I want the James Prochet out of SMU, one of my favorite guys in the class. I mentioned him a few times on Twitter. Then you had, you had Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State, who I would have loved to have seen. So I didn't, I didn't like the pick initially because, again, full disclosure, didn't do a ton of homework on punters and kickers leading up to the draft. They're rarely taken, and I, I didn't see the Jets taking one, even with the need. I think, you know, you, you get a vet body who gets cut loose. Maybe you bring Lack Edwards back. People, people giving Lack, Lack Edwards all kinds of heat. Acting like the guy's, you know, the worst punter in the NFL. Like he's a, he's a middle-of-the-road punter. He's a guy, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. But anyway, the Jets go out and draft man. And I'm like, all right, a punter, I guess so. Um, let's check him out. Let's go, uh, let's go watch some punting highlights. And I'll tell you what, man. For those of you that haven't watched, I'm sure most of you have by now. That dude can launch the football. He said, I saw a tweet today. May have come from the Jets account. He set a record, set multiple records last year. Most punts over 16 yards, or most punts over 60 yards. He had 14 of them last year. 14 times that dude had a punt over 60 yards. Average, his average was 51. This dude can, you talk about flip the field. If this guy just keeps doing what he's doing, I mean, he 60 yards consistently. 14 times. That's once a game. Once a game, this dude boots a 60-yarder. I can't dislike that pick. As much as I wanted receivers and I wanted linemen, a lot of guys I would have liked there. But I'm not going to sit here and complain that they added a punter who can kick it as well as he can. So, you know, kudos to the Jets for making that move because I don't think, uh, you know, it may not have been very popular. I know, like I said, my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, man, they could have grabbed the starting receiver or a potential starting receiver. Now, they didn't. That's fine. But that that does put them in a spot, Joe Douglas and the Jets, where – and I'm, I'm gonna, I, I only graded a couple of these. Uh, so, Becton, Mims, I'd say A. Give Mims the A-plus because of the, what they added. Davis, to me, is a C, C-minus maybe. Zuniga. C, C plus, you got the injury concerns, but it looks like he's going to be a really good player. Perrin, like I said, probably my least favorite guy or least favorite decision. Uh, who, he may go on to be a very good player, but that's a D plus for me. James Morgan's another D. Could have, Probably could have got him later. Inaccurate guy, underthrown deep balls. Cameron Clark's a B, B plus range because I think he's going to 
kick inside and be a really good NFL player. Bryce Hall, that's an A, A+. Plus. How do you, I mean, potential starter around five at corner, that's an A+, plus, A+. Plus. Uh, and then Braden Mann, C, C+, plus because, again, uh, other positions it could have. I have a feeling that one's going to, that's going to change. I think, I think over time that's going to look, that's going to be an A. Like I said, if he keeps booting 60 yarders, there's, uh, there's no telling how long he'll be around. Uh, they just made a deal as well, another deal. When they made a trade with the Indianapolis Colts, they traded pick 211 for Colts corner Quincy Wilson. Now, Wilson had a good year a couple years ago, apparently, from what I've read. Struggled last year. And the Colts are a respected front office, by and large. Uh, everything I've, you know, anytime I hear them mentioned, it's sort of with, 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 with high regard. I don't see a really smart, really good, squared-away front office trading a starting cornerback for a, for pick 211. And I hear people say, oh, maybe he wasn't a scheme fit. Okay, fine. So if you have a starting caliber corner who doesn't fit your scheme, you call a team whose scheme they do fit, and you say, please, may we have a third or fourth round pick. You don't say, oh, let's kind of wait till the end of day three and give them away. You just don't see that. So listen, he may he may be a good starter. He, he may sorry he may be a starter. I'll believe it when I see it. But it is worth mentioning, of course, that the Jets did have Rex Hogan, in the, or they do have Rex Hogan in the front office now, who was with the Colts the last couple of years after working with the Jets uh, under McCagnan. So he's a guy who's going to know. He's going to know the you know the, the the what the deal is with the, with the guys out of Indy. So perhaps Hogan, you know, knew something, saw something where he said, look, make a move for this guy. And uh, we think he can be a starter. And perhaps that's the case. We'll have to see. But that that wraps up the the drafted portion for these guys and uh, moves us right along to the undrafted free agents, which I got to tell you, I am I'm pretty shocked at how few the Jets have added. Their numbers are really pretty low. Eight or nine guys. But as always, interesting, intriguing guys. Always, you're always going to have a couple small school guys that maybe you haven't heard much about, that you have to do some digging. And then maybe there's one or two guys that you're familiar with that you thought were draftable players. And right away you get excited. Oh, I thought that guy was going to take it. Two guys, maybe three even. Bryce Huff, edge rusher from Memphis. If you listen to Emery Hunt on this show a few weeks ago, talking about his sleeper edge rushers, Bryce Huff was one of them. And look, this is a guy who can move, he can bend, put up good numbers at Memphis. And he was a projected sort of sixth, seventh rounder. Jets end up snapping him up, which is a good deal. Lamar Jackson, Nebraska corner, he's another guy, so I'll project it as a sixth, seventh rounder. I don't, I don't know if he'll stick. I think that he's a guy who, uh, good, good press man type corner. But went and watched a couple of his games. Watched some of him leading up to the draft too. I think I, I, I thought about mocking him to the Jets in round six or seven in some of the mocks I did. I don't think I ended up doing that, but he was, he was on my radar. Uh, got beat deep more than you'd like to see. Doesn't have great speed. Doesn't, doesn't have great recovery speed. But he's 6'2", he's physical, he'll scrap. 
uh, like I said, he'll press at the line. I'm sure Greg Williams like that. And they'll work with him. But those are the guys that, you know, you kind of, or at least I recall seeing as draftable prospects. Along with Javelin Gidry, slot guy out of Utah. He opened a lot of eyes because he ran a 4-2-9 at Indy. I mean, listen, you run those kinds of numbers, you're going to show up on some radars. So he'll get a look at corner, at, at nickel corner, I'm sure, where the Jets have Brian Poole, but Poole's only on a one-year deal. Other than that, you have Sterling Johnson, Coastal Carolina. He was a Clemson transfer. Not a big guy. 280, plays on the inside, six and a half sacks. Dominique Davis, who I believe, or who is, we uh, we heard from earlier, he is, we are expecting him to call in. Um, we'll see if that happens. Heard from him yesterday, and he was, uh, he's like, sorry, man, I'm working out all day. All day, I can, I can come on late. So we set up for him to come on late, and then the, uh, as I said earlier, had some issues with the audio, so we ended up canceling. And um, we'll see if we hear from Dominic tonight. That's the plan. But speaking of Dominic Davis, had a chance, you know, because he played at a small school, UNC, University of North Carolina at Pembroke, not, not exactly an NFL factory, not an easy guy to find film on. Really, I can't find a single full game of Dominic Davis. What I was able to find was some highlight reels, which you have to take with a grain of salt. But uh, basically what he's doing in these highlight reels is exactly what you would expect from a guy who is on NFL radars, even if you don't get signed. Listen, if you're playing at a small college and NFL teams are coming to watch you, you're the best guy on the field by a lot. And, uh, and Dominic Davis was just throwing guys around left and right. It was almost, some of it was almost just comedic. Uh, the way he just shed a block, wrap a linebacker or wrap a, a running back up in the backfield and just fling him to the ground. It was uh, a man among boys, as as the saying goes. So I can understand why the Jets saw him. You know, he showed he showed good quickness, strong guy, really strong guy, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, violent hands. So a lot of hand movement made it made it really tough for guys to get their hands on him when guys did engage. He did a good job of being able to peek into the backfield, shed the blocks, hit guys at the line, at or behind the line of scrimmage. So I think that this is a guy that has a chance as a, you know, developmental type lineman. And you look at what the Jets have done in recent years. They've had some success with these undrafted or late round D linemen, whether it's Snacks Harrison or Kyle Phillips last year or Fuller on Zafatakasi, not undrafted, but a sixth round guy. So the Jets have had in the last 10 years like some legitimate starting quality linemen that they've snatched out of small schools. Of course, Phillips was in a small school. But Fatakasi, Connecticut, Snacks was what, PA, something up in Iowa or Idaho or something like that. Can't even remember at the moment. And now another small school guy, Dominique Davis. So where that goes, we will uh, we will have to wait and see. And it's really... You know, I'm seeing if we hit on everyone. I, I wanted to save the receivers for last uh, because that's, as I said, an area where the Jets, I would have liked to see them take more guys. They didn't. They've also got Jared Hilbers out of Washington, offensive tackle. Really, what I've seen, I watched some of him, fundamentally sound, um, good feet, good mechanics all around, played on the left side, played on the right side. So I think it's that versatility and coachability that makes him a guy who might stick around kind of similar to the situation with um, with uh, drawing a blank now. I almost said Brandon Shell. Oh, how late is it? 
I'm drawing a complete blank. The right tackle. Who played left tackle last year and got beat up a whole bunch. Wow, I'm really drawing a blank here. Uh, Needs to get stronger. Needs to get stronger. And the technique is there. He's, He's got, you know, he's got the footwork. You see him keep, you know, straight back, upright, doesn't get, didn't get pushed around um, mechanically, but just physically, it was a really, it was a really rough time for him at times uh, from what I saw on film. So I think that, but again, because of his versatility, because he's a sound player, I think he's got an opportunity to stick around for a while. And, uh, and even if it's a sort of, you know, uh, offensive line, a, 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 you know, offensive line depth that you, a guy you keep on the practice squad, something along those lines. I think that he's got a chance to stick. And then, of course, onto the receivers, because the Jets they took a couple of them, uh, undrafted, of course. And you kind of you look at you look at what they what these guys bring, and of course a Doga Chuma Doga, Jesus, name would not come to me. Uh, so yeah, similar to Chuma, how the. Mechanically, he was there. Technique was there. Strength wasn't there. Uh, so, looking at the receivers, this, these are two of the more exciting guys. Uh, Lawrence Cager out of Georgia and George Campbell out of West Virginia. Now, uh, Cager was a guy, I thought it was interesting. He was sort of one of the first names I heard in terms of players the Jets were meeting with during the pre-draft process. Um, of course, <laughs> there weren't a whole lot because of the corona shutting things down. But Cager, 6'4", showed really good hands, not a ton of production. Uh, you know, over the course of his four college seasons, he had just over 1,100 yards and 14 touchdowns. So not, not terrible, but not, not eye-popping numbers for a guy that big. Jets obviously liked him. Like I said, showed really good hands. So you get a guy who's 6'4", who can, you know, snatch the ball out of the air. That's, that's at least worth bringing him in. George Campbell, this dude is super interesting. Some weird things about George Campbell. Um, I don't know if it was the quarterback play at West Virginia. I don't know if he was, you know, a bit dinged up and playing injured or, you know, what the issue was there really didn't add up like kind of stuff you don't see. So he had 19 catches, a total of 19 receptions and seven touchdowns. I mean, that's, you're talking a touchdown better than every three catches. That's crazy. I don't know if I've ever seen a ratio that good. 19 receptions. Seven of them for touchdowns. That's nuts. And the other thing that was a little bit crazy about him, and someone tweeted me earlier, and, and this is where they said, oh, it was, it was about the quarterbacks at West Virginia, you know, when he was healthy. Um, but he was a transfer, though. He was a transfer. He played at Florida State before he went to West Virginia. But anyway, his first 12 college games, 18 catches for 313. So not really, not that impressive. Less than two, fewer than two catches a game um, and three scores. So 18 catches, 313 yards, three touchdowns in his first 12 college games. In his next four, his final four college games, 14 catches, 362 yards, and four touchdowns. So he was four catches behind what he had his first 12 games combined, and his touchdowns and yards exceeded 
his entire his entire collegiate career up to that point. He did have some injuries. So was it injuries? Was it opportunities? Was it quarterback play? I don't know the answer. I can't say for sure what the issue was. But all I know is the guy just went from being completely ignored, completely irrelevant in his offensive scheme to being an absolute monster for the final four games of his career. The touchdowns, actually, I said seven and 19. That was all in his final season. All seven of his career touchdowns came in his final season at West Virginia. All of them came in that one year where he had 19 catches. And that, that's just, it's just mind-blowing to put up those, those type of numbers, uh, to go from a non-factor to a guy that teams just didn't have an answer for. And, you know, it was Kansas State, Oklahoma State. He wasn't doing it against William and Mary. You know, he wasn't doing it against Rice. He was playing some, some, some you know, upper conference teams. So good on him. And it makes him a super interesting guy. You know, I, I think he averaged 24, 25 yards per catch his senior year. So sounds like a playmaker. 40 time, we don't know. Didn't have a pro day. Wasn't at the combine. Uh, tried to find something on him. They say in high school, he reportedly ran in the four threes. And then there was one site that said he ran a four four. Listen, even if you're in the mid four fours, and, and he's like six three, six four. You have that type of that type of height, speed, rate, you know, combination, you can be a playmaker. Uh, last but not least, Shaheem Carter from Alabama, defensive back. Not sure what the plan is with him. Um, undersized, a little bit slow. You kind of see why he didn't go dra- he, why he didn't get drafted. Probably the longest of long shots, uh, unless the Jets have a you know, whatever they have in mind for him. If it's safety, I don't I don't think he'll be around very long. Uh, but, you know, that that remains to be seen. So that wraps up the the entire draft class. And the undrafted, all the undrafted guys. And, you know, what really stings with that is that the uh, the Giants grabbed a couple of guys that I really, really wanted to see the Jets get. Um, the, or the, the the Giants grabbed Kyle Murphy, the guard from Rhode Island, and uh, Benjamin Victor, the the receiver from Ohio State, as undrafted free agents. I I was was uh, campaigning for those guys for a little while. Two of my, you know, I kind of viewed them as day three picks, late day three, and hoped the Jets would snag them. And obviously they didn't. But with the guys they did grab. It, it surprised me when I looked and didn't see – I mean, there were teams that added 19, 20 free agents, undrafted free agents. Uh, Jets added eight. So that number was – there's still some guys out there. Um, and, and for the record, I looked at – I, I want to say it was Gil Brandt. He puts – every year he puts out a list of the top undrafted guys. And at corner, he had both Lamar Jackson and Javelin Guidry. I believe they were five and six. So they were among his top 10 undrafted free agents. Reggie Corbin, who I talked about a little bit, uh, the Illinois running back who shades of Leon Washington. He's a guy who went undrafted and is still, uh, from my understanding, he's not, uh, he hasn't signed with anybody. So I think he's a player that that people want to keep an eye on. And uh, I'm going to guess, unless we've had some miscommunication here, that we're not going to hear from Dominique Davis tonight, uh, which is a surprise because he was uh, he was really enthusiastic. Uh, we contacted him. He got right back to us. He was like, here's my number. Let's do this. 
I explained that we do a studio show. It's easier for calling. He said, happy to do it. Give me the number. I'll call in. So uh, I don't think uh, I don't think he's blowing us off here. I think this may be uh, maybe some crossed wires miscommunication. But either way, crossed wires aside, excited to see this guy play. And hopefully he's a, you know, hopefully, like I said, some of the traits he has can translate. And uh, if anyone's going to get the best out of him, it's Greg Williams. And speaking of guys that Greg Williams can get the best out of, Jamal Adams. Talk Jamal Adams for a second, folks. The face of the franchise, or at least the defensive face of the franchise. The prez, the leader. You look at what what Jamal Adams was doing last year, at this time last year, when the Jets were making their picks, he's, he's tweeting at them. Welcome to New York. Let's go. Let's get it. Welcome aboard. Glad to have you. He was fired up. This year, I didn't see nothing. Well, I won't say I didn't see anything. I think when, when the draft wrapped up, I think he tweeted out a picture of the, the whole list of the players. Congrats, whatever, something like that. Uh, he was tweeting at Laramie Tunzel. And he was tweeting at Christian McCaffrey. Those guys aren't on his team. Those guys aren't in his division. But you know what those guys are? Those guys are players who just got paid. So Jamal Adams is clearly not happy that he's having to wait for his payday, which I think I think it's going to come soon. Or they're at least, I mean, the Jets have said they're going to start talking to him after, after, you know, once the draft wraps up. They're going to start negotiations with Jamal Adams' agents. And um, I don't know where it'll go. I have no idea how much money he's looking for. What I do know is that he is a fantastic football player. He's a guy that I want on my team. He's a guy who's going to have a career full of game-changing plays. Had a bunch of them last year. He's not going to get a lot of interceptions, which, you know, you like that in a safety to get get you some picks. That's not Jamal Adams' game, even when he's in coverage. He's not an interception guy. Uh, what he's got three years in the league now. He's got two picks, one of them off a backup quarterback, Jared Stidham, in garbage time, and then he got one that, if memory serves correctly, kind of bounced around, bounced off someone's chest, hit somebody in the hands or the head or something, and just kind of bounced to him. He's not a drop back, read the quarterback, anticipate the route, jump the route, pick the ball off safety. He's not a recognize the play, on you know. Covering the middle of the field, you see the play going to the right side of the field on a deep ball, streak toward the sideline, intercept the ball. Like that's the that's what I was saying earlier. That's the stuff Malik Malik Hooker does. That's why I was on board with the Malik the idea of Malik Hooker to the Jets. That's not what he does, and that's fine. That's you don't his thing is good coverage because he is good in coverage. Just because you don't get interceptions doesn't mean you can't cover. So I'm not one of these idiots saying Jamal Adams is a box safety and he can't cover anyone. He can cover people. He can stay with people, but he can't pick the ball off. But he can cover people, and he can get sacks, and he can stop the run. He can, he's a multidimensional player who brings a lot to the, to the table, who is going to get paid a lot of money from somebody. So it may as well be the team that drafted him, especially when you consider the fact that the Jets have 
or should have, over $100 million in cap space next year. They don't have a lot of money committed toward future years, and this is what you have to do when you have good football players. And it seems to me, it's really weird when you think about it. I mentioned earlier how terrible the Jets' draft history is. The main reason I mentioned that is because it is. But the other reason, on the rare occasions when they do draft a sort of franchise-altering, game-changing player, it doesn't happen often, but those guys always seem to get traded. Other teams seem to keep their good players. Keyshawn Johnson, traded. Darrell Rivas, traded. Now the next generational guy they have, Jamal Adams, talk of him being traded. And I'll, I'll tell you what, it wouldn't... The, the Jets exercised their 50-year option on him, which everybody expected. So they've got the 50-year option, and then they could tag him a couple times. So this is where Jamal has no leverage. Right? Jamal, the Jets have control for the next day of this season, then they have 50-year option, then they can tag him, and then they can tag him again. So they've got his contract, plus the additional year, plus two years after that. So the Jets have all the leverage. Jamal can hold out, which he said he'll sit out this, this electronic portion, the, not, the, the voluntary portion, which I get. And people are like, oh, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. Look, when you're supposed to be the guy who leads the team and you love football so much that you want to die on the field, his words, not mine, then it is a big deal when you say, you know what, I'm going to stop doing things. Now, the reason why he's sitting out voluntary computer training is because that's, what, that, that's all he can sit out. People are like, oh, so what? It's just, it's, it's stupid. It's on a computer. Meetings. Right. But that's what they're having. If it was, if there was no coronavirus and they were training at the facility, he would hold out of that. And I get that it's voluntary. But you know what? When you're trying to sell this image of yourself as a guy who is the leader, who just, loves football more than anything in the world, you don't then voluntarily not show up. So again, this isn't to say I don't want him to get a five-year deal. This is more about the leadership piece. I still hear people tell he's a leader, he's a leader, he's the emotional leader of the team. Listen, he might be leading some naive people, but I guarantee you smart guys in that locker room are looking at Jamal like, damn good player, I want him in my huddle. I want him in my locker room, but to me, you know, too much has gone on with the the uh, the, the tantrum over being mentioned in a trade. The number of times, you know, I mean, once is enough, but I'm, there have been several times the Jets go out there, lose a game, and you know, Jamal's tweeting out pictures of Jamal after the game. He's sort of like a modern day Ricky Henderson, I guess. You know, I don't. I haven't heard him speak in the third. I haven't heard him speak in the third person. But uh, he he's Jamal's all about Jamal, and that's fine. But the problem is, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think Adam Gase is fine with that. Adam Gase strikes me as a guy who won't put up with that type of uh, me first attitude. I think he's a team first guy, as much as I dislike him. Because believe you me, if I had to choose between Jamal Adams and Adam Gase, bye, Adam Gase. (laughs) There's the door. Take care. One of you guys 
is amazing at your job. And Adam, you can look at your career record, and we know it ain't you. Jamal's the one who just made a Pro Bowl and was an alternate the year before that. And is probably going to make five, six, seven more of those things. Pro Bowls, all pros, tons of accolades. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a defensive MVP at some point in his career. Adam Gase, he's not, he's not none of that. So while I prefer Jamal to Adam Gase, Adam Gase is still the head coach. Adam Gase still has Joe Douglas's ear. And if this gets to a, a deal where whatever money Jamal is asking for, if, it, if, it, if he's asking for enough, did he make Joe Douglas pause and say, oh, I'm not so sure about this. And he's got Adam Gase sitting there going, come on, man, let's, let's make a deal. Let's pull the trigger. Let's move this guy. Let's get a couple first rounders. Let's get some guys who want to be here. And it may come to that. There, listen, it's, there are a lot of people saying this could get ugly. There are some people saying it's already ugly. I wouldn't say it's ugly yet. Right now, it's laying the groundwork for ugly. We want to have Jamal here forever. Okay, well, when did the season end? How many months ago? Three months ago? Have you made him an offer? No. Jamal, I want to be here. I want to be here. But liking tweets about him playing for Dallas. We know he told one of his ESPN buddies that he wants to play for Dallas. Congratulating guys who he's probably never played with, probably never met. But he just sees a player's name attached to a big dollar figure. And it's, oh, congratulations, man. You deserve this. When really what he's saying is, hey, Jets, I deserve this. That's why this is the thing I'm watching right now. Not the draft, not the Jets, not this team. I'm watching the money. And whenever somebody else gets it, I'm going to let you know that I'm watching. And that's what he's doing. He's, Jamal, you think Jamal Adams cares about Laramie Tunzel and Christian McCaffrey getting paid? He doesn't give a damn about them. I don't blame him. They're not going to care when he gets paid. But I think, it's, I think we're going to see a clash between Adam Gase and Jamal Adams. And my hope is that Adam gets, Adams gets a long deal and Gase. I mean, listen, I hope the guy went to the damn Super Bowl, but I just don't see it happening. I think we know what he is, and that's not good. I think he will be uh, – I, I think Adam Gase's situation, whether he wants Jamal Adams gone or not, and whether that happens or not, Gase's situation is interesting because, look, the Jets are going to make a lot of upgrades. They have made a lot of upgrades. They have more talent than they had last year. There's no denying that. And they might add more. They've talked about that. There could be trades. There could be free agency. Marcus Golden, maybe. Edge rusher, something like that. Adam Gase hinted at a wide receiver. But even with all with all the new additions, would, any, would anyone be the least bit surprised if this team was no better next year in terms of wins and losses? I wouldn't. I could see another... Six, seven win season. Why? Schedule is tougher. You don't play the same teams every year. Last year, I don't care what anybody says, in all my time as a Jet fan, I cannot remember a softer schedule than what they had last year. They didn't go. They the they didn't go beyond Washington. That was as far west as they can. You even call that west? 
even in relation that was west that was their west coast trip this year was washington everything else short drive short flight short whatever easy trips bad teams and they win a handful of games now this year what do you got you got green bay you got san francisco you're flying out west you're going out west this year. Got the Raiders, right? I don't have the schedule in front of me. But I know I've, I've looked at it a couple times. And it's a much tougher schedule this year. So if you're the Jets and you've given Adam Gase all these votes of confidence. And he's your guy. What happens if he comes out and only wins five, six games this year? Seven games. I think I think ownership would keep him again. I do. I don't think that they want to let him go. They don't want to have egg on their face. You can't you can't rave about this guy. You can't bring a guy in and hand the keys of the franchise to him. You give him your rookie, well, you know, not anymore, but you give him your young franchise quarterback and you tell you tell the fans that I hired this guy cuz he is where football is going. You're telling people this guy's the future of the NFL. What are the chances you you give such high praise to a guy and fire him after two seasons? When you can just fall back on, oh, it's a process. Growing pains. It's not going to happen overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day. All the cliches we hear from ownership when they retain coaches that they know aren't very good. So I think the Jamal thing... Just makes it interesting because I think I think the Jets like him a lot. I don't think Adam Gase does. I mean, he's not going to say it publicly. I wouldn't doubt that's why Robbie Anderson's not a Jet right now. You just kind of get that vibe. I mean, Robbie Anderson statistically a more productive, better receiver than Brashad Perryman, and you let Robbie walk for a couple million. Could have afforded him easily. Easily. Ignored him for weeks at a time on offense. One week, you know, he'd be he'd put up big numbers, and then just completely disappear after that. So who knows if that was you know if that was Adam Gay saying, look, uh, let's make him an offer to save face to say we made him an offer, but uh, let's not offer anything too generous. Let's not offer anything he might go and accept, and then he's on our roster. I think that might be the case. We'll see what happens there. And uh, just checking up on our, our guests. Man, stood up. We're 0 for 2 tonight. I have no idea what's going on here. So I don't believe we're going to have uh, Mr. Scott Carter. And we had him on last year. Maybe maybe he was uh, – what did we have him on for? We had him on to talk about Ja'Kai Polite. Maybe he felt bad about that. About the Jakai Polite situation, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't believe we're gonna have him this evening. And uh, yeah, zero for two on the guests. That's uh, surprising, because yeah, both both these guys were were gung ho. You, you get a pretty good feel for for whether or not people are gonna call in. And generally, when they respond right away with a yes, and follow up right away and exchange details, those folks tend to call in. You know, as scheduled. However, I will say, um, 
I know last night he was he was about to call in before we uh before our tech went down and uh but it was it was pretty late and he did say he got uh he got pulled for an article and uh or had to do a story so he was running behind so that could be the case again tonight um we'll give it a little bit more time I'm just going to check one time right right now so message them we'll see uh We'll see what we get there. But, uh, but again, getting back to the Jamal thing and, and the money situation, the Jets next year, you know, we said this before, as, as of today, the Jets are projected to have $73 million in cap space. That's not including, let, let's say, when the cap goes up next year, because it goes up every year, seven, eight, nine, ten million. Let's say, let's say it goes up 10, because I've written a couple places that with the new CBA, they're expecting a larger than usual bump. To the, to the cap next year. And 10 isn't out of the ordinary. So let's call it 10. So that means that 70, and we're going to call it 73, we're going to call it 74, because it's actually 73,970,000. We're going to round that up to 74 million. That's the cap space number as of right now. 74 million, let's say the cap goes up 10 million, right? Now you're at 84 million. And then you start looking at the guys that might get cut. Le'Veon Bell. He's getting cut. And you're saving $9.5 million. So that brings you from 84 to 93.5. $93 million when you cut Bell. Quincy Inunua. Love the guy. Don't see him sticking around. They're keeping him now because of the cap hit they would take if they cut him. But when they cut him after the year, that's another $6 million. That brings you to $99 million. In cap space next year. Henry Anderson. Unless he has a monster year. He's due 9.5 million next year. Cutting him saves 8.2 million. What's that bring us up to? 107 million? George Fant. I feel like the deal they gave him was one to lure him. With an, with an eye on moving on. If he's not dominant. Because he's due to make 9.4 million. I don't think he's going to play at a level that justifies 9.4 million. They cut him, that saves them another 7.4. What are we up to now? What is that, like 110? Alex Lewis, if he gets outplayed, he's another 5 million. Van Roten's another 3 million. So we're probably sitting about 115 right now. If the if these guys don't produce to the level they're expected to get paid. The only guy who would save a bunch of money who I think has a really good chance to stick around and won't be going anywhere, is Jamison Crowder. Looking at Crowder's number, they cut him. It would save them $10.5 million, but I don't think they're going to cut. He was their most productive receiver last year, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case again this year. The bottom line, here's what matters. Whether it's 110 or 113 or 117, the Jets have a ton of cap space next year. Okay, let's let's pretend for a second they don't cut any of these guys, which they're going to. So that would actually be pretty stupid. Well, okay, let's say it's not one seventeen. Let's say it's it's a hundred. They could be at a hundred million next year. So Jamal wants seventeen. Big deal. Give him the seventeen. Give the guy his money. Or again, potentially side with Adam Gase. Because and and again, this is this is a hunch. I'm not sitting here saying I know that Adam Gase doesn't like Jamal Adams. 
I'm saying that I know Adam Gase has, has let players go before who have done things that are more oriented to themselves than the team. Jay Ajayi. Jay Ajayi was, might have been Adam Gase's best player. He was producing. The numbers were there. The production was there. He was a beast running back with Miami. But he got traded. Out of the, people were shocked. Oh, my God, Miami just traded, traded their best running back. What happened there? Well, turns out, Jay Ajayi wanted to do his own thing. Because he was more about Jay Ajayi than he was the team. I mean, you can say, well, he was supposed to hit this hole, but he hit that hole. Whatever hole he was hitting, the numbers were there. He was producing. So the results were fine. But the fact that he wasn't doing what Adam Gase wanted him to do, he was gone. And we saw that happen a few times. With, with Adam Gase players. Good players that he let go, that he traded. Was it Landry, right? He traded Landry to the, to the Browns. Just when players rub him the wrong way, Adam Gase finds a way or a reason or excuse to, to cut a guy, trade a guy. And if Jamal's a guy who's, you know, Jamal first, team second, I'm not sure that's something Adam Gase is going to put up with for a long time. But the issue you run into and I, you know, I'm sure ownership will consider this. They may not want to fire Adam Gase, but they might realize that without much better results in a year or two, more probably more likely year two, which would be well two years from now. That might be the point at which they're ready to move on. I think ownership knows that what I said earlier. I mean, I know that you'd have to be idiots not to know. Jamal Adams is better at his job than Adam Gase. Do we want to trade Jamal Adams? And then, depending on when that happens, of course, but then say six to 18 months later, we fire Adam Gase while Jamal Adams is winning, you know, winning postseason awards and and making, you know, uh, making Pro Bowls and being named All-Pro. And you're sitting there and your new head coach is looking at you thinking, damn, I wish we had a guy like Jamal Adams on this team. That guy's awesome. And you got to go, oh, yeah, Adam Gase didn't like him, so we had to, we had to move on. Um, I think that's, a, I think that's a, a position the Jets really wouldn't want to be in. But it sounds like, uh, I don't know, like I said, some people are jumping the gun, saying this has gotten ugly. It hasn't. Can it get ugly? Absolutely. And, uh, and we don't want it to. But who knows? Who knows what will happen, where it will bring us. But, uh, but that will wrap up tonight. I do apologize that uh, we weren't able to coordinate with our guests. Um, you can, you can uh, report us to the Better Business Bureau for false advertising. My uh, sincerest apologies. Before we go, though, we do want to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. Jet Nation Radio would like to thank Mile Social uh, for sponsoring the show. If you are running your own business or business owner looking to improve customer engagement, or just improve your social media presence on multiple platforms as it may be, then give Mile Social a call, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whichever one you choose, uh, whatever, whichever, whichever platforms you prefer. Oh, sorry, thought I had a message there that he was calling in. Uh, yeah, whichever, whichever you prefer. Just contact Miles Social. Let them know. Say, look, I got a business. I'm wearing 10 hats. I got a lot on my plate. Can you guys 
to come in, step in, manage my social media for me. You run the analytics. You know what works. You know what catches eyeballs and what gets clicks and what gets people through the door. And improves business. That's what Miles Social does. So give them a call, and uh, they'll give you an estimate. Well, I say give them a call. Check check out their website, milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E, social, all one word, dot com for all your business needs. Milesocial.com, M-I-L-E, social.com. That will wrap things up for us tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!